I'm thinking I just played a game. I think I'm like, just got home and played a game. They're like, no, dude, like, you'll die if you go to sleep. Your head is like, mm. like a goose egg right now. I just, I lost almost every skill that I had. I lost my memory. I lost, I forgot how to read and write. I forgot how to like, I forgot people. I forgot everything. I literally forgot like everything. Mm. I was just sitting in my room like, dude, what? Welcome to Pinnacle Code, where we spotlight excellence in the culture. I'm your host, Ben Arthur, joined by a, a guy whose uh, story is, is super inspiring. I think it's a, a story of, of triumph and, and success and, and resilience. Someone who's come from a, kind of a rough uh, upbringing, uh, you know, gang violence, all that. But, but he's really turned himself into something really cool, really inspiring. He is Corey Pilkey, former a two-sport Division One athlete at the University of Portland. He played basketball and ran track uh, later on for, for the Portland Pilots. And uh, as a working professional, uh, his uh, working experiences kind of cross a number of different fields, higher education, uh, youth coaching and mentorship, trauma-informed care. And, and also forgot to say at one point he, he was training uh, for, for the Olympics. Uh, so so he, he's quite the athlete. Uh, friend of mine from college, we went to school together. Uh, Corey, it's good to see you, man. How you been? It's good to see you too, man. Uh, it's been well. Um, everything's just been... I recently left my previous career when I was in trauma-informed care. Okay. Um, so now, yeah, so now I'm in the unknown and I've been studying a lot. So everything's been well, man. It's been good. Yeah, so so let's just kind of start there, right? You say you've been studying. Like, like what, what do you maybe look to to be doing right now like like what what's after kind of going through the trauma-informed care what are you maybe looking to get into um i'm in a psychology realm so a big goal for mine is like working with working in sports psychology with athletes um just because and my with my i'm going to rant about it but like with my brain injury what i learned was um human potential human consciousness cognitive behavior psychology like all those realms and as an athlete, bringing that perspective to that, um, to where you can like share what's, what they're going through and articulate what they're going through. So they have a better understanding. I mm. really get a, a, a eye from that. So that's, that's my realm right now. Okay. That's dope. And, uh, just kind of growing up psychology and, and mindset and all that kind of stuff has always been something I was super fascinated, fascinated by growing up and. And I, I want to touch on that more as we get deeper into this conversation and then also uh, your brain injury. But uh, we have to I think we kind of have to start at the beginning. Right. Like your, your yeah. upbringing, uh, you're, you're from Bakersfield, uh, California. What do people maybe need to know about your upbringing there to understand who you are as a person? Um, I would say survivalism. Mm. Like there's, there's two differences of people who grow up on love and you grow up on survival. And with my upbringing, Bakersfield is a very high crime rate city. Like there, there's Compton, Stockton, California, and then there's Bakersfield. Um, and I was just a backstory is I was, my mom had me 18 years old and then she wasn't able to take care of me. So I was adopted by my dad's parents when I was four months old and just went from there. Um, and so you're basically a survivor at four months old, right? And so you kind of figure out how to adapt to every environment you're in as a baby. And that led me into childhood to where I was avoiding gangs through basketball, et cetera. Um, and my grandpa, he put me in basketball when I was in second grade. And I think that's what sparked like, oh, I have a chance to like, mm. I have an outlet. And and when you have an outlet, it helped me see bigger than my current reality at the time mm. based on the environment. And so kind of playing off of that, um, what, how has, what is the difference maybe in how you looked at your kind of rough upbringing 
the gang violence, everything you were around growing up? What, what's the difference in maybe how you looked at it while you were in it compared to how you look at it now as a man in, in your 30s, if that kind of makes sense? How is what has kind of maybe been the shift over the years? I think it, it, it my case would be complicated because like my my family members I would say were like I wouldn't say gang bangers but they were like in it and then people who I played basketball with they were in it too so I had like a level of protection so it shifted my perspective being like I'm not a gang banger I'm not a gang member but they saw that I had like this, this basketball opportunity. So there was like this level of protection on, um, but it was like, you're basically what it did was it shifted your whole vision of life and reality of life and the future and everything to, I don't want to get shot today. Right. And what can I do to not be a target? What colors can I wear? Only colors you could wear in Bakersfield were black, white, and gray. You couldn't wear fitted hats. You couldn't wear chucks. You couldn't wear Cortez Raiders gear. Everything was gang related. And so you're walking around on eggshells daily, constantly. You walk to the store and there's a few incidences in my life where I got that reality check to where I was like, I was a hermit crab. Um, one, I was in grade school and basically so basically these kids were like threatening, they were threatening me to bully me, beat me up. I was in the second grade, right? And I ended up playing with like not kitchen knives in my, in my home that my grandparents were living in. Um, and then something happened and I ended up bringing those knives to school. It wasn't like a, I'm going to stab you type thing. It was like, I just needed like something for protection because they were constantly after me. And then of course that day, like that kid, they ran through my stuff, tried to steal all my stuff, and they saw the knives. And so I was expelled in the second grade from, from school, in elementary school, uh, for having those, right? And so then I was sent to a magnet school over on the east side of Bakersfield. And that's where it was like, gang, gang. And the school uniforms were navy blue and white. And these, like, they think they were buds or they're some gangbangers. They pulled up on me. And I was in like fourth grade, fifth grade. And I was waiting at the bus stop to go home. And they just like, they started punching on me. And for, for nothing at all. You, you weren't doing anything. Just it's because I had the wrong colors. Oh, the wrong oh colors yeah. On yeah. In the wrong okay. neighborhood. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's, and there was that, man. I got my teeth punched out like in the eighth grade, seventh grade. Um, blindsided punch. Just like crazy, right? And yeah, man, just being shot at and like, seeing so many things in your clear vision right there within feet of you altered your whole perception of life and like where you wanted to do everything you possibly could to get out of where you're currently living. Mm. I'm wondering, Corey, like when, when you were in that, right? Like it, it probably, did it feel just like normal? Like that's just kind of what life was yeah. because you didn't see like maybe a, a different like how people live in like the suburbs or whatever like you're you're just in that reality so to you at that time did it just feel like this is how life is it was like it was normal it, and it became laughable because like people would fight at school or eat your pizza or eat your just eat your lunch it was like oh there's a fight oh crazy because it was so normal right and but you were always on guard and what it does, I have a different perspective on it now because like what it does is if you're on guard and always constantly on edge in survival mode at a young age, you can't dream. So when you're in survival mode, you can't dream. And that like really, it'll fuck, it'll fuck you up, man. It'll literally screw you up. My bad for cussing, but like, it'll like mm -hmm. screw you up um, because your only vision of the future is the end of the day. Mm hoping and being thankful that you were able to sleep that night and even when you were sleeping that night we always had like the tv on or you always had to keep the radio on just to make sure some fools wasn't like knocking on your door or on your window 
mm. peeping through the window. It was crazy, man. It's crazy. Um, and now when I left Oregon, when I left California, there's a lot of trauma that comes with that too. And said like, was it just normal? Yeah, it was normal at the time. Could you grow out of that and you like discover the whys and everything that happened and you look at it from a different perspective? There was so much trauma, like mountain high trauma that you had that you were not aware of until you heal from that. Then you become like, you get this like level of peace. Hmm. That's, that's a really interesting perspective just as someone who, who kind of grew up in, in the suburbs and, and I wasn't in that kind of environment that you were in. But um, I think, I think it's always interesting, like just, you know, whether it's kind of more well-off like white people or, or whatever. And they tell people who grew up in environments like you were in, like in the hood and they say, just kind of, you know, pick yourself up by, by the bootstraps and, like you're you're kind of in in control of of your life which you are to to a degree but but i think as you said like when you're in an environment like that it sounds like you, you can't even think beyond s survival right like yeah yeah so it's like you're not even worried it's like how am i gonna stay alive today like yeah so like how i i guess at what point did you kind of start to realize that there was a difference was it like moving to to uh to portland on a scholarship what when you you uh got a scholarship to play basketball at up was it being in, in a new environment that finally got you to to like maybe realize that there is so much more to, to life than survival i think when i started playing club basketball mm -hmm. and i noticed when there was more to survival when I was in high school and my mentor slash coach slash like uncle at the time, um, he was, he was like, dude, like, we gotta get, we gotta get you guys such good hoopers. Like, let's get you out of this, this city to where you're seen by other people. Right. So we'd play in like Oakland and we play in like the Northern Bay area, California. We're like, dang, like there's green trees over here and crazy. You guys have like Starbucks and everything. Right. And so you're able to like, your whole perspective was, was, was opened and you were able to see like a diversified group of people. Mm -hmm. And then with the, with the like survival healing, when you're in a gym and there's like all these people, right. When you're in survival, dude, you're holding on your bag. Like in Vegas, and you're on the court, watching your bag, hoping someone don't like take your stuff. And to be able to be in a gym where you didn't have to do that, that changes the game. Mm. And I, I'll never forget, like, what changed my life was I was playing and we're in like Santa Clara. It was like a 16 and under AU tournament. And I was playing that game and I was doing well, whatever. And we just finished. And my coach, Coach Walker, he was coaching for the 17 and under team. And he was like, he was like, dog, like, you need in this game right now. I was like, fool, like, I'm tired. Like, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. And he's like, no, like there's the ESPN scout there. I don't care what you say. Like, I, you're going to go play. And I was like, fool, can I get like anything to eat though? Can I get a hot dog or something? He went down a snack thing, gave me a Snicker bar. I played off the Snicker bar. <laughs> and I can't remember. I think I had like 17 points or something, something crazy, right? And blocks and steals. And next, you know, like, I think it was that Sunday or that weekend, my name was on ESPN recruiting list. And could he the screenshot? And I was like, he said, you're going somewhere. And I was like, oh, crazy, right? And I didn't know where somewhere meant. I just knew it was like, oh, Bakersfield is not forever. Mm. And I changed everything. It changed my whole mindset because then you started to see all the people who are like gangbanging and like gel is all out of jealousy and they, all the bullying towards me it was all out of jealousy because my whole energy changed it wasn't in like a, i'm better than you it was like i know i'm going somewhere mm. I, i'm wondering Corey, was there ever like a sense of guilt with that at all that because of your talents that i i guess like you had the chance to get out of that environment and make something 
different for your life? Like, was there ever any feeling like that? And, and maybe if you did, like, how did you deal with that? I don't, I don't think it was any guilt. Um, cause I've never been like an arrogant person. Uh, just the way life has humbled me. And I, there was a, there was a level of confidence, but growing up, you could have been confident, but you couldn't express that confidence because then you were seen as like conceited and arrogant. And then you were, you were a target. So like there'd be targets of injury and people, you know, doing other than basketball stuff on the court. And so I, yeah, I didn't have that guilt. How has being in Oregon, how has being in Oregon uh, maybe changed your life? I mean, just having a place really far from home, right? A totally different environment in Portland than it was in Bakersfield, obviously. Um, what has it meant to you to, I guess, really like being able to create a life for yourself in Oregon? I think to put it in like a few words, I think it was that, that sense of like tranquility and peace. And what happened was I was able to be, it took me like three years to adjust. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I was able to be who I wanted to be. And what I mean by that is in the culture that we grew up, right? I grew up in like, I was a lot of like around a lot of Chicanos and like, like gangster fools. And you had to be, you had to be hardcore tough. You couldn't show no emotions, no weakness, no anything. Uh, Cause you always just be told like, you'll be all right. Right. So these bottled up emotions and when you wanted to be funny and goofy and chilling and laughing, making jokes, you couldn't because you brought too much attention to yourself and you didn't want that. So coming to Oregon, I was like, dang dude, like I can last. I can like, I can be myself. I can dress how I want to dress. And when you're able to express yourself, you're, you're able to like, you unlock more potential and you unlock more you. And so I was able to wear red colors. I was able to wear shoes and hats and not walking down the street being like, like crazy. Right. And then when people talk to you, so it's that, it was that, that peace and authenticity that like really changed the game for me um in my three-year transition yeah because i moved up here six days after high school graduation i had like 40 dollars and i think like some converse and i literally had literally nothing right yeah because um, i remember my first week in college i didn't have pillows dude i didn't have nothing and i would i had t-shirts that they gave us right and you know Corrado hall and like the dorms um i took the bed sheet that I wasn't going to use. And I balled, I balled it up in like a t-shirt and I used that as my pillow. And like when UP would give us hoodies, I would stuff those in there too, to make the pillow like better, make it firmer. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. So I, I have to, you said it, it took like, I think you said like three years to adjust to, to being in Portland or, or something like that. I, I guess like going to campus, like we both know it's a very white campus. I mean, people from U University of Portland do not come from environments that, that you came from. Um, yeah. And not a lot of black kids on campus. What was like that adjustment, like that acclimation to, to being in that environment where people maybe don't understand you? Uh, their frame of life, their frame of reference on life is maybe different than yours. What was that like? Dude, that was awful. Like, it was honestly, it was awful, but so rewarding at the same time. Because, yeah, like you said, like, no one gets you. You don't have that sense of home because you don't have a sense of community. And us as humans, we, sense of belonging is like one of our core needs as a human. So when you don't have that, you feel lost and you're finding anything you can to attach to, to have a sense of belonging. And of course you had your team, but you're a freshman, you're from a new state, you're still disconnected. So what it did was you had to either change your perspective on, and it was eye-opening for me because I could have been, 
basically if your negative perception is like, I don't like this place, this place sucks, and we just all white people here, it's gonna be horrible. And you're just gonna quit and go home, right? And give up. But I was like, okay, like I still wanna be me, but how can I culturally assimilate? Not take everything that I that and completely change as a person, but like still maintain my own, but I'm gonna adapt to the environment because when you adapt to the new environment, you'll survive. And then you'll thrive once you survive. Um, so it took three years of that, man. And I was like, oh, cause I had a real bad, not real bad, but I had a strong dialect. I had a, my family's from St. Louis. So I had this like mm. thick country accent. I mean, I'm talking about like thick, thick. Mm. And then you got the California dialect, like very fast, right? Like you put those together, man, <laughs> nobody could understand what I'm saying. Nobody could understand what I'm saying. So you had all these things. And people thought I was homeless because, like, I didn't have no clothes and everything. Um, and so, like, I had to go to speech classes and all this stuff. But I, that it was always the best for me. And one phone call to my high school coach, Smith, um, he said, because I was complaining. I was like, dude, like, I can't do this no more. Like, whatever. He said, no matter how hard it is up there, it'll never compare to how hard life will be if you come back down here. Hmm. And I was like, you're right. And then I started to see everything as like an opportunity for growth. Yeah. Like literally everything. And you're appreciative. Uh, and I was appreciative. And I still am of like every possible opportunity, everything up here. Because when you grow with lack and survival with for them in like 20 years of your life, like you weren't able to appreciate things in the way that you can now, because you can, there's a difference between appreciating something and then appreciating and enjoying that thing. What are the things that uh, you think you've experienced or, or been able to embrace uh, about yourself that is, is maybe kind of different than, than anything you could have imagined just because of being in a whole different environment and, uh, and, and kind of being out of Bakersfield in that Portland environment. And as you said, like you're able to kind of express yourself more like your personality, you're, you're able to kind of be, I guess, your authentic self more because of those things, Corey, what do you think you've been able to uh, experience uh, just because of what that kind of unlock in you, if, if that kind of makes sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, dude blessings and opportunities man like so many opportunities because when you're able to like be who you want who you are and just your full authentic self you become magnetic right and that's like energy that you're just putting out there and like you attract beautiful energies so there was a book i read where it was like a thing container type job right like they're going out in the seas or whatever and he said you put up a flyer and go hey this job is going to be horrible hours it's going to be the worst experience of your life and like but it's really needed and it's going to be no pay you're going to be a bunch with a bunch of guys for like a year and you put up those flyers and then they go you're going to attract only the people who want to do that and so with that I was like, huh, that makes sense because once you, you are just with your podcast and stuff, like once you, and like all your reporting and stuff, like that brought you so many opportunities because they were like, damn, Ben is good at what he does. Here's another opportunity. Oh, here's another room for growth. And so that really like unlocked so many things because even when I was playing basketball and I was like done, right. And I was in the unknown, I was lost and whatever. Coach Connor, he was a track coach. He was a cross-country coach at UP. And he somehow, some way, saw my track records from California. Um, so I was like six bats sprinting back in like 2010. And he was like, Corey, man, you, I saw your high school records. You ran like 10-5 and 21-4. Um, you want to run? I go, dude, what? I haven't ran in five years, <laughs> four years. And, but I was like, I'll give it a shot, yeah. right? And it was only because like, I was just cruising. I'm talking to people and like him being in that vicinity and like us having a conversation led to that. Yeah. 
and, you, and I said yes to the opportunity. And next thing you know, you're going pro in 10 months and training for the Olympics and epic shit. It's, it was like crazy. Wow. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Shout out to Coach Connor. At one time, he did try to recruit me to to join the the track team. I, I did a little track myself in high school. I was yeah. not nearly the guy you were um, by any means. <laughs> Shout out, Coach Connor. Hello, um, Coach. So, Corey, those that know you will, will know that you still kind of like play a lot of basketball For, from afar. It seems like what, like semi-pro bat basketball that that you're involved in. Like, like you've been on some like some teams, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Top and row. Like what, what is kind of that been, what has that been like? It's been cool, man. It was like, I was playing in minor league basketball. Um, so semi-pro and we were traveling to like, uh, we'd go to California, we'd go to Texas, Cincinnati, um, Florida, like so many cool opportunities. Um, and I think what happened was it was at the time where I had my, within my, I had my brain injury. Um, and then they saw me. And so they're like, oh, like, I remember that guy. Let's, I want him to play for us type deal. And it was just like an expansion of just from there. Um, and I currently play um, and I do like footwork testing for Nike and I'll play up in the pro-amps. It's mostly a lot of pro basketball in the summer. Um, so I'm like yeah. everywhere. Yeah. So I really love that opportunity. Yeah. No, that, that's awesome. And, and yeah, I, I wanted to touch on that, right? Like, I, I know, seen a lot of photos and, and videos of you getting involved in, in like the Pro-Am circuit, specifically in, in the Pacific Northwest and whatnot. And uh, what what was it, 2018, the uh, Isaiah Thomas's uh, Zeke tournament in Tacoma, Washington, where you suffered this brain injury that you've uh, referred to a, a number of times. What do you maybe remember about like the play the the moment it happened uh kind of take us back if you can about what exactly transpired um yeah i i i was able to describe to me so i was able to remember after that years after but yeah i was planning uh yeah planning the tournament and i remember from the game man i was having like i was in like three threes. I have pictures of like, I had dunks, like four dunks. And I think, I don't know if it was a dunk or a block, but I went up for a block and I blocked this guy's shot off the backboard, like pinned it off the backboard. And I was so high, because it was like above the rim, that my butt landed on his uh, shoulder right here. And then my head went straight to the hardwood. I fell straight onto my head on the hardwood. Um, my memory or image was like me blocking the shot and like looking down being like, Oh, that's like pretty far down. Um, so I fell from like what, 10, 11 feet. So like that. Jeez. And yeah, so I was like, Oh dude, like I don't remember anything after that, but they told me that like the whole tournament stopped. There's blood all over the floor. I don't know if I was like pronounced dead or not, but like, I was like out, out for hours. No. Um, and I woke up and it was all these ambulance and, you know, firefighters around me and everything. And they're asking me these questions. And I remember one question, they're like, where are you? And I said, I'm in Beaverton, California. And he was like, no, dude, like we're in Tacoma, Washington. And I didn't know what year it was. I didn't know literally anything. Um, and so my head was like a goose egg, dude. It was crazy. Like there was pictures on my Instagram and everything. and well, like, I think my teammate's girlfriend at the time, like, they drove me to the hospital. I was getting my head glued back together. Mm. And then I was given a, oh, I think somehow I made it home. I don't remember how I made it back to Portland. But um, then my roommate at the time, Corey, he was working at Zoom Care. Um, and then I don't know if it was a conversation, how the conversation went, but. Somebody told me that I was like, dude, I just want to go to bed. Like I just played a game. I'm thinking I just played a game. I think I'm like, just got home and played a game. They're like, no, dude, like you'll die. If you go to sleep. Your head is like, mm. like a goose egg right now. So I had to stay up. Um, but what happened, man, is I lost, I just, I lost almost every skill that I had. I lost my memory. I lost, I forgot how to read and write. I forgot how to like, I forgot people. I forgot everything. 
I literally forgot like everything. Mm. And I was just sitting in my room like, dude, what? It was crazy, man. It was crazy. Yeah, let me know if I oh, should stop on that. Part. Yeah, no, no, that's that's absolutely insane. Um, like, did did you remember family members, friends? Like, you you when you say everything, do you like literally mean like everything? Like, man, I forgot. I forgot how old I was. I forgot my family members. I forgot, like, dude, I forgot I had a car, right? I forgot I had a car. And I think, yeah, I had my car repossessed. Like, I literally just, I forgot, like, I had a car and car payments and everything. And I called up, like, hey, like, I had this head injury, like, I'm out of the hospital, whatever. Um, and they were like, oh, sorry. And I just came and got it. But, and so, yeah, dude, I had that. And yeah, so I think it's like, I literally forgot everything. Mm. Concept of time, it was like benign to me. It was like unworldly. Yeah, I forgot all the experiences that I had, everything. When you say concept of time, like you, you, you didn't like know how long like a minute was or like 30 minutes. Like, like what, what do you mean by that? Yeah, like, like four hours would feel like like a minute, like 20 minutes. It'd be like the same. It would all be the same. Huh. It was crazy. Like all the days were the same. All the seasons were the same. It didn't matter. I, I, I didn't know what day it was. I didn't know what season it was. I just knew based on the year and like memories. And so my, my parents or my grandparents, I wasn't able to like be in contact with my mom and dad at the time, but I was trying to explain it to my parents. And they didn't really get the understand the severity of it. They thought it was just a concussion. Mm. And then I was like, and of course I didn't have the skills to be like, no, it was like more than that. Yeah. Like more severe. Um, so yeah, dude, it was like solo recovery, man. Like solo recovery. And I was, I think I was dating somebody at the time. She was like helping me. And I think that was it. But like other than solo recovery, crazy. So so how long did it take for you to get everything? I get I guess to get to get everything to like come back to you, people, time, uh, just basic all the basic stuff that you said you forgot. Like how how do you remember like how long it took for like all that to kind of come back together? Like what did that therapy or, or whatever look like? It was, I want to say like three years for like to wow. get like the basics back. Three like, years. Yeah. Cause wow. I completely forgot how to play basketball. And I remember I was going to like a Nike run or a, some run, some basketball. And I was like, dude, I was, I was terrible. I was awful. And I was like, no, I was, I was getting so frustrated. Cause I was like, I know I'm good. Like, I know I'm, I'm good at this. I know how to do this move, but you couldn't at the same time. Right. So it was like, I was like, you know, I, I got to be done with this. So I never gave up on anything, but the recovery was psychotherapy. And because I couldn't have like meditation, I had deleted my social media for years and I didn't have TV for years and whatever. Um, but yeah, it was like psychotherapy. And what that was is you just, it's just you and your thoughts and you and your brain. And what happens is there's all these, memories and things come up and I was able to listen to music and when the musical artist would say a word or something or like a line it would spark a memory and it would spark a core memory which mm -hmm. led me down a path of like more memory oh wow yeah yeah um and then friends would start reaching out and they're like hey dude you remember you, you, you did this I was like cool who are you I don't remember but then I did once they started to like explain things. Um, yeah, man, I was like, I went to memory care for a little bit. It's crazy. It was crazy recovery. So three years, three, four years. And it's December, 2023. Yeah. So like this is five years going on. And 
my right side is like finally in almost full repair mode. That's what the side guy hit. I see. So, so off of that, like, so, so, so you wouldn't say you're a hundred percent yet after five years, like you're saying, you're just now kind of getting that right side stuff back. So yeah, like, but yeah, like, like muscle memories and it, it, it's inexplainable, but yeah, like, yeah, no, there's I so many things basically, um, there's like more crazy thing happened today this i think this will help explain is i went outside and i was walking in the sun right it's all beautiful and as the sunlight was like beaming in my right eye there was like scar tissue that was like felt like it was repairing that i didn't even know that was still a thing because oh, wow like you when, felt it like you felt it repairing yeah you, you know how like you have you know scar tissue you can hear like yeah the chair whatever and it was happening because it was the bright light that was like shining through. I felt it literally, dude, from like my eye all the way to like the center of the where the scar is right there. And I, yes, I, so that was like cartilage, uh, scar tissue repairing. Because what happens is when you have a brain injury and you damage one side or whatever, so mine was the right side, the left side gets like stronger in a way because it has to hold down the fork for the other side. And so once left side is like, yo, dude, we're like, we're good now. Then the right, then it can give the strength or energy back to the right side for balance. Wow. That's wow. That's really, really fascinating. And so kind of going off something you, you had said earlier, like how is all that, like your experience with the brain injury, the, the recovery, the, the years long recovery, how is all of that driven your, your desire in, in terms of like sports psychology and, and helping athletes, like what, how has that maybe driven that passion and, and what exactly are you doing to, to maybe help athletes? What it is, is there was, like I read David Goggins book, the can't hurt. Shout out David Goggins. Yeah. Yeah. And that book like really inspired me and opened a lot it opened a few perspectives for me as far as like mental callous. Um, because, you know, he, of course, there's like the Navy, which is similar but different than athletics, um, which I correlated that with a military workout we did in college. We did basketball. Basically, you did like the workout, right? And you had to do simultaneous, simultaneously push-ups. We all had to do the same push same time, and it was awful. Um, but it was like, skill building and communication building um but what happens is when you put yourself through adversity and i'm gonna follow up with another thing and then we did it in the pool we got in the gilden cotton you know those hoodies the cotton hoodies mm -hmm. with spandex on we we're doing it in the pool you did on the side and do push-ups and sit-ups and ab curls whatever you jump in you swim to the other side you gotta do the other thing adversity and what I want to do with athletes is like help them understand that whatever is hard, it's not as hard as you think because your brain is telling you that it's hard when it's actually not. And like the, the benefits of muscle memory and human consciousness and human potential when Jordan Peterson, the psychologist is like, I love that dude. Shout out to him. He, he explains when you unlock a new skill genetically you unlock more dna you unlock more you um and you you expand off of that so like if me and you went to go try archery for the first time and like we had no idea we can play or do archery but just us learning you know like the fig configuration and everything there's more you that you didn't know that you had mm -hmm. and so with athletes it's like Kawhi Leonard uh, does this in his workouts in Kobe, of course, and they would shoot the same shot literally for hours. Mm. And then they'd like do a new move from that move mm. from that spot. And then there, you know, it's like, so that's what I want to like help teach in athletics. And I know it's like very different, but with individual counseling, I can be, it can be like a incredible breakthrough. Um, because my essential goal is to help people do what they want to do mm. rather than like what's what they're told and 
expectations of parents and coaches and whatever. It's like, what do you want to do? Because when you do what you want to do, you become your best self in what you're doing. Wow. That's, that's really dope. And, uh, yeah, what, what you're saying kind of reminds me of something I think David Goggins has said, like, I, I love that dude. Like I've listened to so much of his yeah. content and I could tell you do do, but like, I remember one thing he was saying in a video was like, like where you've like pushed yourself to what you feel is the absolute limit. And it's really only 10% of like what you're actually capable of. Like maybe that's your limit right now, but because you're, you're kind of, you have to continually push that envelope because you'll realize over time, like the more and more you, you kind of push that envelope, the more and more that you realize that there is for you. And so I feel like that's kind of going along with what you're saying. And so I know it sounds like you're still figuring out exactly how that's going to work. Uh, like getting into that sports psychology space, but do you know if like you want to work with like the youth in particular, teenagers, college athletes? Uh, do, do you have any sense of of kind of like the direction uh, age group you, you want to work with? Um, that's a good question because I do want to work with ten years of working with youth. I may want to like I think I'm gonna take a break from that and. I I think earlier this year I had an opportunity to interview for um, working with professional athletes for Nike, um, which would be really cool because like they get the the muscle memory, the creativity, the like work that you put into, and like that mental callus that you build and can build. Um, so if you can like if I can help a professional athlete become a better them an abundance of opportunities and, and achievements to be unlocked for them. And that's really cool to see. Yeah. No, that's it. And, uh, Corey, Corey, as we've kind of talked about, like cl clearly, like you, you've been through like a lot in your life between the environment you grew up in, in Bakersfield to everything you've, you've dealt with, like with, with the brain injury and, and refinding yourself and, and, and all that. And, like everything you've been through, like you've been through more than some people, frankly, will, will ever go through in their probably entire life combined, right? You've seen and experienced things that people probably can't even conceive of. I don't know if like you believe in, in God or, or a higher power or anything, but like, how do, how does your mind maybe look at that fact that you have been through so much shit, really? And, and and come out like on the other side of it. Yeah, yeah, man. It's uh, to me, like it, I think we we mentioned it earlier. Um, it's like it, it seemed like normal to me. It seemed normal. It was very beneficial in counseling, especially in like trauma informed care. It's very beneficial because like when you go through something that may be severe or whatever, not trauma comparing, but when you go through something and you're able to articulate what you went through and like help the person understand what you're saying, um, to where there's a sense of empathy, that's where I, but to me, man, I'm just, I think I've trained my brain and like praise God every day of like, what's next. And I'm appreciative of everything I have, which unlocks more like room for growth and don't get me wrong like it's been a marathon like Nike Lipsy Hustle said you go through every emotion like I've been I'm not you, you'd be broken down I've been broken down so many times but there's a difference like I'll never give up at the same time you do give up that fight against the resistance so when there's continuous adversity you, you sometimes you just got to give up the fight right and when you do that, you start to see like so many more opportunities come to you because you're not fighting anymore. And my thing is like, I'll never give up. And even when you do have an achievement, you're like, okay, like, boom, keep going. Because when you settle, your drive gets, your drive diminishes. Mm. I noticed that with one of the, it was a rapper I was listening to, can't remember if it was high school. 
he was like so good, right? He was like boom, 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 and then he got all his millions, and then he was he, was, he sucked. And I was like, that it was that. I mean, you didn't have that drive anymore. Yeah. And so I yeah. So that's my thing, man. And and I think I use it for infinite wisdom. I would say I have. And I and that's what helps me go through life. As a in, that survivalism is ingrained, like Jason Bohr, like it's ingrained in you, but you don't always have to do it all the time. Yeah. Corey, do you maybe a pre like not that you liked your upbringing or anything, but do you appreciate the person that that upbringing? Yeah, everything you've been through that 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 it do you appreciate the person that it created like are, are you maybe yeah. grateful for for that yeah i'm grateful for every experience that i had because there were all lessons learned that created a better version of me um and even like i know we mentioned it on our outline but like your perspective of success, it created a better version of like what I wanted. You fumble opportunities, you miss opportunities, you, you, you failed at things. Like I was point seconds away, whatever, from trade going, making it to the Olympics. Right. And like, that was after that, it was like super depressing and whatever, but then that you got to move forward. Like a couple of days, you got to keep going because you got, you got to keep going. And, um, what that did was it just kept this, it created this constant drive in me and I'm appreciative of everything. Um, because I was, I want to say this, the perspective of success is when you live a stressless life, knowing that you've done all you've done to create the life you wanted to live. No, that's, that's good. I love that. And uh, Corey, on your Instagram, in your bio, you say, um, "quote Every day is a weekend." End quote. What What do you What do you mean by that? Man, even on the previous podcast I did with Bryant Ferrati, um, um, it is he's a sports trainer um, at UP. He said, "Living every day like it's the last until tomorrow," and my thing is, I say every day is a weekend. That's man, you're living up like you're you're taking advantage of every opportunity and you're appreciating everything that happens in your day. Um, because I'm big on like we create our own reality, and what I mean by that is you're walking around and you think everything's beautiful and you're complimenting people and whatever. You start to get that energy back, and. It's just so, it makes life joyful. Mm. Every day is a weekend. You know, some people will say, oh, yeah, they're partying and turning up every No, it's not that. You're just enjoying, like, everything you get to do. Yeah. <laughs> Until tomorrow, right? Because you wake up and you're like, What's, what do we got today? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's dope. Corey, where can people follow you on, on social media who want to keep up with your journey and, and, and all that? Like, where are you at on, on the social media platforms? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm big bigger on, my main thing is Instagram. Yeah, main thing is Instagram. And I plan on starting, like, a podcast soon, just, like, storytelling life. And, like, okay. like you said, like, all the crazy things, but... Yeah, no. Just go with that. So, yeah, I'm going to definitely launch that soon. Um, I'm getting the timeline for it down. So, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Instagram and that, um, those are my biggest things. My basketball highlights, still doing that. Um, and just sharing my, my life, man. And, and even the, the storyline of my life. So, yeah. No, that that's awesome, man. And and yeah, as we've kind of gone over, like you have a really powerful story and putting that for, for you to put that in a podcast form for to share with the world, I think could be a really powerful thing. And um, yeah, for, for all you guys listening, like everything Corey said will like be in the show notes. So be sure to tap in with him. And, and very last question for you, Corey, this has been awesome and really appreciate your time, bro. But um, it's kind of a big question, but 
What does black success mean to you? What does black success mean to me? Black success means it. To me, it's showcasing your courage and strength and your resilience of getting through the adversary, adversity that like generationally black people have went through and, and being the best version of you, regardless if that's flamboyant or if that's humble, like pop off. That's what black success means to me because people don't know the like generational trauma that like have affected which led to the the successful people, the Jay-Z's of the world and like everybody who's successful. And one thing I would say is like for black success to everyone get their own version of their own success of what success means to them. Mm. And actually I lied. I actually have one last question for you. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh <laughs> I realized I forgot to ask this and I, and I meant to ask this, but um, for Corey, for, for the little Corey's out there, for, for like the little girls who grew up in, in environments that were similar to your own, what would you tell them about what it takes to trans either like transcend that environment and or take the one or two steps to start creating the momentum necessary to get out of it and, and start to build something positive for themselves. Yeah, dude, that's crazy. I just said this to Park Rose High School middle schoolers. Uh, I mean, Park Rose School middle schoolers is you look around your environment and whether you're, whether you're in survival or not and take a look and observe what you don't want so then you can create an idea of what you do want. And when you do that, you start to write it down because then your brain will start to configure what you want, which actions will follow and do things that what you want to do. And you said to build that momentum, there's a book called The Compound Effect. And I love that book. Yeah, right? And Nipsey Hussle said this quote too is, you lay a brick every day, that's getting better. 1% every day, you lay a brick every day. Eventually, you're going to have a brick wall. That's getting better every day. And I, I started making my bed every day. Even just like putting it together, right? Because that says, you know what? At least this is together, which, which builds momentum for your day. So I would say that like create create a vision of what you of the life you want to have and you'll find it'll come to you that's beautiful i think that's a perfect way to to end the show everyone appreciate you guys for for tuning in to pinnacle code be sure to uh subscribe to the show on, on youtube and and i'm all across the, the different social media platforms as well be sure to like, share, subscribe, tell a friend, tell a family member. Appreciate all you guys for tuning in. And a big thank you to my guest, Corey Tilke, a good friend of mine from back in college for, for sharing his story. But um, until next time, I'll see you guys soon. All right. Peace out. Appreciate you guys. Peace.